Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Galway City Your Council podcast series where we will share insights on the range of services, projects and people in the Galway City local authority area. Galway City Council provide a diverse range of services including beach maintenance, dog pounds, health promotion, strategic planning, tourism promotion and housing supply. This series will introduce you to some of the people delivering those services and the valuable work they do every day in Galway City. For more information on Galway City Council, please go to our website www.galwaycity.ie. This is the final episode of the podcast, so I'm delighted to say that I have a special guest today, Brian Sheridan, who is the Harbour Master in the Port of Galway. Brian chats about his career, the role of the Harbour Master, the rich history of the Port of Galway and outlines the future plans for the Port. So let's go straight into the interview now. Hi Brian, you're very welcome to the podcast. So the first question I want to ask you is your title is Captain. So you're you're a Naval Captain? I'm a Master Mariner, which means that I can command any ship of any size, anywhere. And uh, I did the bulk of my training was been, has been done in the National Maritime College down in Cork. I've also trained in, in Glasgow and in John Moore's University in Liverpool. And I did my master's down in, in Warsash, which is in Southampton, Maritime College down there. So, yeah, I've done some and I, I've been I did some um, management training at Cambridge University. Back in the day, it seems like a long time ago now. And more recently, I did some leadership training with Harvard University and the Timoney Institute. So, yeah, captain. Uh, it's also you know, the, the captain on board the ship is generally known on board ship as the master. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's so, that book, um, Master and Commander, isn't it? Or do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, commander is more of a naval term. When I say naval, I mean defense forces. Ma- master is. Uh, yeah, so the, the master is the captain of the ship. Yeah, so I started off my seagoing days as a cadet with A.P. Muller, the Danish shipping magnate, largest privately owned shipping company. And yeah, they really looked after me from cadet to master and made sure I was trained very well. The ships were well found and always very modern. And they had this unbelievable ability to put, you know, almost put the company logo stamped on your forehead and that you we worked diligently and and you enjoyed it. I certainly did, and uh, I progressed along with Merce very well, particularly on their gas tankers and, and on ships um, loading and carrying chemical gases on a, on a global basis. So we would we would cover the globe, circumnavigate the Earth about every three months, um, usually around the mid belt latitudes. Uh, pick up a cargo in Yanbu in Saudi Arabia, butane, bring that to Tarragona in Spain, pick up another cargo in Genoa, bring that across the Atlantic to Houston, um, back up the Mississippi to load. Uh, we used to carry this this um, pretty nasty cargo called propylene oxide, PO, and um, that was highly specialized, a highly volatile but very valuable cargo. And that down the, the Great Mississippi River uh, from Baton Rouge out the bottom end of the Southwest Pass, it's called uh, across across the Gulf towards Panama. Take about four days and through the Panama Canal 
and make passage for Australia, which would bring us past the Galapagos Islands and, and the famous island, Pitcairn Island in the, in the South Pacific, uh, where the mutiny on the bounty and Fletcher Christian and all those yeah. mutineers settled and and then arrive in in Geelong in in near Melbourne after about 24 days at sea so that would be a long a long passage across the the pacific what age were you at that stage but, so i was 18 when i did my leave insert and i was away at sea as a very young man yet you grow up pretty fast and uh, of course it's a different life you're away from your family. How many days in the year would you have been in at sea? So we typically have to, certainly when you're a cadet and a junior officer, you would do five and six months tour at sea. And then as as I progressed up through the ranks, um, you you had fav- more favourable conditions. And particularly as master then, I was doing six weeks on, six weeks off. So that was much more ma- manageable <clears throat> because... You know, as my own family grew up, I missed birthdays, I missed Holy Communions, I missed, you know, Christmas, so many Christmases. I had a really dark day when I was a young man uh, flying out of out of Terminal 4, as it was then in, in Heathrow, on Christmas Eve and flying into flying into Jeddah in Saudi Arabia and then to take a taxi or a driver. And he was from Somalia. I'll never forget him because we got... Not only did we get one, but we got two punctures along the way. And of course, you only have one spare. So this poor man got out of the car and the sun was starting to rise uh, over the desert and the sand and the camels walking around the car. And here I was thinking it's four o'clock in the morning and Santa Claus had just arrived in Galway. And so there was was days like that that was really tough. And, And of course, they don't celebrate uh, Santa Claus and things like that in in Saudi Arabia, so um, yeah, di- difficult. But for me, very rewarding. I enjoyed, I enjoyed every bit of it. And either and there's a lot of natural wastage of people who decide on careers at sea and then realize very quickly, oh no, this is not this is not for me. Uh, so there's a lot of natural wastage and fellas drop off and. And they may, they may not, you know, they may only only go as far as navigator on board the ship, and and then they say, oh, I'm, "I'm done with this." I heard you saying a great line saying, "Salt water runs through your veins." Do you think that's part of it that you it's in your blood? You've got a great family tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And when I look back at the family tree, there's a lot of mariners and a lot of clergy. My dad was master mariner and my uncle Gordon, master mariner, both harbour masters as well. And then there was a second cousin, John, uh, who is in the Royal Navy. And that in a very nice, very nice man. But he, he was discharged uh, from the Navy back he got a dishonorable discharge and i remember him showing me the letter from the king at the time to say and and, and as a young young boy i was reading this letter and i the first line in the letter was you have incurred his majesty's displeasure oh my god and that line that struck a chord with me i thought it was tough and the reason why he got this honorable discharge from the RN was because his brother had died in World War One in Singapore and he left the ship without permission to go to the grave to see his brother's grave. 
And of course, it was pretty tough back in the day. And if you went without, if you were absent without leave, yeah, the guillotine fell on you. And yeah, so there is, it's it's a bit like a vocation, either it's for you yeah. or it's not. And did your so your dad was the harbourmaster in Galway before you? Did he work? Did he do the same route as well? Did he work on ships or did he go directly? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, same S- route. He was he was master at sea as well. He spent wow. his his cadetship or apprenticeship, as it was known then, with BP, as did my uncle Gordon. So both of them cut their uh, cut their teeth working on BP tankers. Back in the day, yeah, and and to be a harbour master is a requirement to have been to sea and uh, to have been in command. And so, yeah, both both of those master mariners were. It's kind of crucial, really, isn't it? Because it gives you a deep understanding of the people you're dealing with. You you do because yeah you, you you know you're you're dealing with with a with another captain on a ship, and and um, I, I you know I understand I understand where his headspace is. Uh, on the ship, particularly if there's a problem and if there's an issue uh, that I have to deal with it, particularly on tankers. So we have a lot of tankers coming in out of Galway. So I understand all the safety implications and and how things should be affected on board ship. So, yeah, absolutely critical to be have served at sea before you could be a harbour monster. Has, has traffic along the coast there along the west, has that increased? Is that increasing? It has for for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being uh, the establishment of a Sika zone, which is one of these low, one of these low sulfur area zones in the North Sea. So you would have found ships, uh, which typically would have, uh, let's say, they left Norway or they left ports in 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 Finland. They would navigate down through the North Sea and out through the Southwest Pass there through the Dover Straits, Southwest. Southwest approaches, sorry, southwest approaches, and then across the Atlantic. Uh, but now that, that now that you can only burn low, so very low sulfur fuel in these areas, uh, ships ships are starting to come out over the top of Scotland and down off the west coast of Ireland. So there are off the west coast there is increased there is increased traffic, which brings increased risk, and we do get from time to time seafarers that get injured on board and. The Coast Guard have to fly out and recover these, or, or rescue these um, seafarers, winch them off the deck, and get them into Galway into hospital. So that that's becoming more and more and more, and it's something which the Coast Guard are thinking about all the time, and to make sure that we have the right resources to be able to police the waters for which we are responsible. Can you tell me about the role of a harbour master? A couple of elements to that. One of them is that it's a statutory role. So there's uh, a lot of legislation wrapped around the title of the Harbour Master. So the Harbours Act, the Sea Pollution Act, the Maritime Safety Act, you could go on and on. And then we have our own bylaws at the port here for the proper management of the harbour. <laughs> and then there's the statutory responsibilities in terms of oil pollution to respond and to report to the Coast Guard, etc. So there's that statutory piece. And then there's the operation of the port, the arrival, uh, docking, unloading or loading of cargoes and the safe sailing of the ships, uh, which uh, um, I'm the superintendent of pilots as well. And we have Captain Kevin Walsh and Captain Bob Ellis as pilots at the port to do an exemplary job in the very tight confines of our medieval harbour, which, you know, the ships keep getting bigger and bigger and the infrastructure remains the same. 
and, and we can talk about the port expansion uh, later. But um, my role then, apart from the statutory piece, is largely admin and I'm largely office bound and um, try to get out on the key as much as possible. Uh, and then it's about the operation, keeping the show on the road and the ships moving in and out. And this afternoon, for example, there's uh, there's a vessel docking at half past three, the Eames, Dublin, and she has got a consignment of turbine blades for the uh, Yellow River uh, wind farm in County Offaly. And uh, so that ship will be in, she'll be here for two days, and this will be our 17th project. And there's 12 ships in this project. This will be our 17th. Uh, so we have built up uh, what I like to think of a very good reputation for handling these oversized pieces of cargo. And and then that's trucked uh, overnight across the country to County Offaly for, for deployment. But it it highlights all the time the importance that ports play in the success of the country, the su- success of the economy. And if you if you want to look at how the economy is doing, look at the ports, and because they're a great barometer of of economic activity, and because we live on an island, everything has to come by sea, and uh, it's unlike other continental ports. You know there are several routes to market, but in Ireland they have to come through the ports in Ireland. So, the, if you look at trade trade figures <clears throat> at the ports, it's a great snapshot of how the country is doing uh, economically. And, and it's it's a bit like I often talked about uh, island people. Uh, while we live in an island, we don't think like islanders. If you go to Nishboffin and everything revolves around the pier and the arrival of the ferry and the passengers on and off and the and the, and the cargo ship that brings the supplies. <clears throat> and without the, without the harbour, the island would really struggle. Uh, but as an island nation, our, you know, on the uh, Ireland Inc., we don't, I suppose communications are so easy, it's so easy to get on a plane and be gone that we have kind of lost uh, that uh, idea of of that we do live in an island that the ports are really important to our very existence. Ooh, and it's funny because, you know, when I think of um, Galway Port, it's like right, it's in the middle of the city, isn't it? Quite unique. Yeah. Quite unique. And um, I don't know, Fergal, if you remember back in the day the, where, where McDonough's fertilizers were uh, along the quay and the ships would be unloading fertilizer or animal feed uh, stock for McDonough's. You know, you'd have forklifts and trucks whizzing across the road as people drove in and out of town. And, you know, they would see this activity because they'd have to slow down to let a truck zip across the quay but now that the road has been divided and you have the working area and then you have the main road um people don't notice it as much um you know you you'd often hear people saying oh there's a ship in because their own driving home was disrupted in the evening time yeah that yeah that doesn't happen anymore and sometimes uh, i wonder do the people you know, do the citizens notice the activity that's going on? Now, with this wind turbine shift coming in, generates a lot of public interest. There'll be a lot of people down, uh, a lot of uh, for- photographers and enthusiasts. Are, are there ship watchers like plane watchers? There are. They absolutely <laughs> are. And there's a guy called Brian McGrath who has been taking photographs of every ship for decades. Be a lot uh, more interesting than planes to me, in a way, you know. Well, 
Well, well, of, of, of course, they're m- much more interesting. And um, so Brian, Brian McGrath, and he's got a website, galwayships.com. And you can go back there and find, I, I, I actually, I use it as, as a, as a resource tool myself, because I, I remember a ship that had called and it was an unusual vessel. Uh, and I, and I can't remember what date it was. And I'll go to Brian's website. So it's, 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 it's mm-hmm. very good. And then uh, I, I regularly get uh, text messages from the public asking about the ship and also the cruise ships from the sea. See the cruise ships in the bay. Uh, you know, there is there is interest uh, interest generated from the public. And uh, and and there's also that sub subconscious link with the sea that we don't. I don't think we we notice it too much, but it's there in the mind of Galwegians. And that if you look at the logo of a lot of the school's uh, crests, like St. St. Mary's, on St. Mary's Road there. If you look at the crest of the school, there's a ship on the sea. And um, there's there's a few others. And if you look at the logo for the University Hospital, it's a serpent, but it's also wrapped around a a ship. And, of course, Galway City and County Councils, their logo is a ship on the sea. So it's everywhere. If you look at the Galway Motor Club, it's a steering wheel, but right in the middle of the steering wheel where the horn would be is a is a picture of a boat. So we 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 are we are wrapped around the sea, but we don't think about that's about that's what I think. That we don't think about it so much, uh, but sub only subconsciously. I, I used to go um to the Iron Islands in each year for Irish College, and I used to get the boat from God, from the the port. It was the uh, Navena. Yeah, I think, is that in Dublin now or somewhere? I'm not sure where it is. Where is it? Yeah, I used to love it. So it's like an old steamship, nearly. You know? Yeah, the Navena was built in 1954, and uh, from a Irish maritime heritage perspective, um, she was the last riveted. If I'm right in this, is the last riveted ship built in the Liffey Dockyard, and she ran a uh, service here up, up into the mid 80s, and I had a summer job. Uh, on that vessel from yeah. school. So I'd finished school. I was going to school at St. Mary's at the time. And I'd be up and down to the ship and it was run by CIE and it was a great job. And again, uh, yeah, great life skills learned on that, on that. Okay. Cause, cause it was like a, nearly like a train on the sea. On and the I'm sea. sure the islanders were coming right into the center of the city, probably did a bit of shopping. Even, you know, I presume I could do it in the day nearly. But you know what I mean? It really connected the islands with the centre of Galway, didn't it? It, it? it did. And unfortunately, the, the fate of the Nevena is a sad one and, and that the vessel is currently being cut up in the Grand Canal dock after years being there. And, and yeah. there was many attempts to restore the vessel and get her back to Galway and moor her either inside the tidal basin or at the mud dock as a, a maritime museum and efforts to do that failed try to get funding etc cetera, etc cetera. and it, anyway, it wasn't to be and um so as part of of trying to hold on to our last bit of maritime yeah. heritage um uh, the port has managed to secure the bow section of the ship so it is to be uh, that's to be kept kept for us, and I'll get it to Galway at some stage and um, get it sandblasted and uh, pickled and primed and painted, and we will put the bow section of the ship somewhere on the quay. I haven't decided where it'll fit, 
But just as a reminder oh, to Galway regions of the historic link between the city and the Aran Islands and the cargo service, which continues today, uh, it's done by Lost the Marachone. They do a fantastic job. And it's just to remind people that um, that ship, which was purposely built for the service, ran, ran out of Galway. And, you know, like I was saying about the port being in the centre of the city, it's when you do like festivals or the Volvo races and things like that. Gosh, they're amazing, aren't they? They're really are a buzz when, when they've happened. Yeah. And the ocean race came in 2009 and in, and in 2012. And that was about showcasing uh, the city, uh, the port to the city. And so that the the citizens of all regions could see the harbour in a new way and as in a fun way rather than a commercial port with ships coming and going with noisy dusty cargoes and what have you but in in the softer side and we certainly achieved that with the successes of the two events that came and then straight after that followed in three sea fests mm. and um and then we've had a number of other events one of them was the round britain and ireland yacht racing 2022 and there's been the western sb20 championships organized by golden bay sailing club but because of its location in the city center it is rather unique i call it disney for sailors and particularly the crews that arrive here on ships where you can walk down the gangway and in a short few steps you're in a bustling uh city center location but it's rather unique you don't get that in many places uh anymore ports are moved downstream and away from city centers and they're reorganized mm-hmm. and regenerated and repurposed and and of course that's what we're what we're trying to do here is to, is to relocate the harbor away from where we are you know i i was in new zealand in 2000 when the america's cup was on then and it was amazing because it really regenerated that whole area and at restaurants and also I just thought it was unbelievable. It was amazing, you know, and that's why I kind of got if, if the potential of that in Ireland, you know. Yeah. And, and when we get the, the port expansion away, you know, we we could have Seafest every weekend. Mm. And um, because the harbour does lend itself because of its location and, you know, you can on three flanks. You you can walk around around the port and and in time you will see more and more bars and restaurants spring up along the waterfront and, and we have this most amazing opportunity to turn Galway into a a, a waterfront of renown yeah. and uh, because we have the building blocks already here and it's just about adding the softer touches once the commercial ships and the tankers move out of the tidal basin into the new port. And you mentioned future plans. What were they? So we've been we've been working on plans. It seems like a long, long time. The, the reality is ships are getting larger and larger. Uh, economies of scale. I won't have to explain that. And it's cheaper and more efficient to carry more cargo in one consignment than in several. Uh, so the ships are getting larger and larger, while the infrastructure we have here remains the same. So eventually, you get to that sweet spot where. You have to call it a day. And we're a thousand years of trading city, maritime city. And uh, who wants who wants to press press stop on that? So in 2020, started the long process of uh, how would we go about um, designing and building a new port 
to meet the needs of Galway. And and that took up till January 2014 when a planning application was lodged with Board Planola. The oral hearing was held 12 months later in January 15. And ever since then, we have been um, answering and, and continuing with, with more and more studies to meet the requirements of national parks and wildlife and, and other, other bodies. And, um, the planning application is back with the minister now. And we are, we're tantalizingly close to a decision from on board Pernola. Uh, leading on from that will be the detailed design and procurement and then construction, which will take three years. Uh, so we have a timeline of approximately 2029 for the first ships in the new port. And when we get that away, that will allow the 17 acres of land that the port own in the city centre to to re-urbanise um, that land space uh, with loads of, of, of public realm. And, you know, we have looked at, and you can go to um, galway-harbour.com to look at what we have suggested. Of course, these are just our ideas along with the work of architects who are in this space of reurbanizing ports and uh, but i'm sure the public will have some even better ideas or things that we haven't thought of and like we'd be very conscious to step back the building line from the key wall so that you've got wide avenues for walking and 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 what have you and and not not land grabbing with the buildings and pushing them right to the very edge so uh, like like you would see in paris wide avenues and streets for the public to enjoy what is the amenity of of the harbour so so yeah i'd encourage the public to have a look at that website and uh, we're always open to ideas always have been great believers in public consultation uh, because you know we don't have all the solutions successive uh, harbour boards and directors of the harbour company have all agreed and and ploughed on with the the new port because if we did if we didn't do it back in 2020 you know, I, I'm I'm refusing ships more and more now as they are getting bigger and bigger. And even the Eames Dublin, which is docking this afternoon, uh, you know, she is a lump of a ship for our our small harbour. But uh, we have the experience of over 25 years from the pilots who um, who are able to do quite amazing things manoeuvring these ships inside in the dock. And um so, yeah, we just need to get on with it. Otherwise, um, the port will fail in time if we don't build this new harbour. How old is the port? Did you say a thousand years? The, you know, the original harbour was up at Spanish Arch. So the ships used to tie there inside the town wall. So it, the ships were defended. I mean, dr- being a trading port was really important. So you had the ships were moored inside the town wall for uh, protected from inv- invaders. And, um, you know, Key Street, it's called Key Street for a reason. Yeah, that's where the ships used to unload their cargoes onto the pier. And there was 14 tribes, there were 14 merchants who who traded at the port. And, and you know, when, when ships came in, there's, there was taxes collected and there was employment, there were jobs. from from And, and from that, that was all the multiplier effect and all that spun in back into the economy. But you, you know where Comerford House is there, um, mm-hmm. down at the Spanish Arch? There were a number of what they call sea gates. So the ships would um, 
come up the river, which in itself goes wrong. Sailing ships in itself was a bit of was a struggle. And in the mouth of the river, there is a big um, link, a chain link where the ships would would physically pull themselves. The wind didn't didn't suit. The crew would physically pull the ship up the river. Now, when I say the ship back in the day, those ships, the average cargo size was 26 tons. Um, so small by today's standards. And in fact, our, our typical ship sizes now are 6,100 tons, which is almost 1100% increase in ship sizes since back in the day. And that is in the last 11 years, ship sizes have increased by 69%. So the trend towards larger ships continues. And, um, but going back to your question about, you know, a thousand years uh, a port, that's where it began. And, you know, and that's why Galway is where it is because of the movement of goods and people and the commerce, commerce happens. And where there's commerce, there, there is money in circulation. And Galway, no different. I mean, if, if, if the ships were trading in and out of Furbo, Galway would have been in Furbo. And if you look at the, the, the capitals of most of the world's countries they're all on the sea it's because of ships uh, and no, no no different here and in 1545 Galway was the busiest port after London and Bristol huge variety of cargo and trade that went out eggs eggs were exported out of Galway fresh eggs hair for the wig industry in, in England and in France for the nobility who wore wigs back in the day and yeah, particularly children's hair and, and women's hair. And they, they went off in bales and there was barley and there was wheat and rye and other commodities exported uh, out, out of Galway uh, back in the day. There's a great website called dunaira.ie and NUI Galway have done fantastic work um, supported by the port company um, to to get this done where they have scanned all the documents from her Majesty's Treasury in the UK, who who kept who kept very good detail. The civil service uh, kept fantastic records of all Irish ports in the United Kingdom and Ireland, and what was moving in and out. And it's it's, it's you could you can find yourself getting lost uh, just having a look at the information and the variety, the variety of cargoes that were were shipped out of Galway today. Uh, what we do here is on the import side, petroleum, um, kerosene and, and diesel would be the main products. Bitumen for, from Colas, formerly Colchon out on Oramore, they bring in uh, a number of shipments throughout the year. And, in, on, and then there's crews and, of course, the wind turbines. And uh, so we're on the Yellow River project now, which is 12 ships. Uh, this month we'll see four uh, turbine ships coming in. And the fact that we have the Harbour Enterprise Park, a large area of reclaimed land from the sea, um, allows us to store these oversized components. And uh, it it helps Ireland achieve its climate action plans by going green and and renewable. And uh, it's all in, in support of the European Green Deal and all these targets that are set up for 2030 and and then again in 2050, there's further targets. So the ports play an enormous role. And in Galway, when this project is completed, we will be knocking on the door of um, 0.7 of a gigawatt of renewable energy 
wind that has come through the port, and that that equates to 20% of all of Ireland's um, onshore wind has come through Galway and been deployed all over the West Coast. And and as I said earlier, sometimes as far east as as, as County Offaly. Thank you so much, Brian. You really brought the port to life. As I said, it really is in the the, the heart, the centre of the city and encourage people to go down there because, um, yeah, it is a special place. You can feel the history there. There is. There, there's, a, there's a lot of history. Thanks again, Brian, for that great interview. This is the last episode of the first series of the Galway City Your Council podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the people working in your local authority. I know I've loved doing these interviews and what really shone true for me was how passionate, knowledgeable and interesting all my guests have been throughout the series. You can listen back to any of the previous episodes at galwaycity.ie slash podcast. There you'll find interviews with a range of people in roles including Senior Engineer, Litter Management Unit, Director of Services, Healthy Ireland Coordinator, Dog Warden, Museum Conservator, Sports Development Officer, Housing Liaison Officer, Museum Director, Retired Staff, Irish Language Officer, Former CEO, Town Hall Theatre Venue Director, The Leisureland Manager, Head of Finance, Housing Liaison Officer, and the Senior Executive Architect. Also, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or topics, please get in touch by emailing communications at galwaycity.ie. If you'd like to find out more about current vacancies in the Galway City Council, then go to the website galwaycity.ie slash human hyphen resources. You are listening to the Galway City Your Council podcast.